This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. From good old coffee houses of New Delhi and Kolkata that gave birth to many a revolution or renaissance, to Udipi joints of Bangalore, to filter coffee made at home with love and heirloom touches. To chains like Barista or Cafe Coffee Day or Costa, there's no better pick-me-up than the aroma of freshly brewed coffee prepared the way you want it, right? In a chai country like ours, the specialty coffee revolution is less than 25 years old. But a lot is indeed happening over a cuppa today. At one end of the spectrum, the global biggies, Starbucks, and on the other, specialist roasters, craft or artisanal chains like Blue Tokai, Third Wave Coffee, or Subco, are becoming challengers. Backed by venture capital, they too are cooking up a storm in the coffee cup. Why else then would a non-coffee drinker like Kejo call his show Coffee with Karan? You get the picture. It's Tuesday, 30th of August. From the Economic Times, I'm your host, Orijit Barman. And you're listening to Coffeenomics, Business Behind the Beans. As venture capitalists bankroll hot young entrepreneurs and vibrant QSR formats, in this episode, we will have three of the hottest men behind the baristas and the bars to talk about the commerce of cafes and cappuccinos. First on the menu, Shushant Goel, co-founder and CEO of Third Wave Coffee, the latest to receive funding earlier this year from Westbridge and go big on growth across the country. Westbridge are the same guys that had previously backed Cafe Coffee Day. Thanks for having me, Arijit. It's my, it's my pleasure to do this. Shushant, first off, I want to understand... You know, you're not the only one out there. On one end of the spectrum, you have the Starbucks. CCD Barista still exists. You have some of the foreign imports, Costas, tea leaf and coffee beans, etc. Then comes, you have a Blue Tokai, you have a Subco, you have a Third Wave. I'm sure there are other regional players as well. What's your secret sauce or shall I say the secret latte behind the success of Third Wave? You know, Arjit, it's definitely a crowded space. Um, like you said, there are a number of homegrown Indian brands that have existed uh, for a few years, a uh, couple of them for a few decades. There has also been the entrant of international brands like Starbucks. Uh, there are new brands entering the market every year. We have recently seen the launch of Tim Hortons in, in Delhi. So yeah, it's definitely okay. a crowded space. And I think uh, the focus has been to deliver uh, quality, consistent, um, fantastic experience for our for our customers from day one, regardless of whether it's our first cafe or our or our 80th cafe, which we have just recently opened up. 
and i think that's been the secret sauce of our success in scaling from you know one city to eight cities and uh, really thrilled to be able to differentiate in this market continuously show that uh, you know you can bring a, b- build a truly global brand um, out of india no doubt correct me if i'm wrong from outside in it seems yours is a cafe model so much like retail location 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 that's key but real estate costs arguably in any metro especially in ncr mumbai becomes the single largest expense line item and weighs down the unit economics how do you balance that no you're absolutely right we're a we're a qsr coffee chain and uh, our business is as much about real estate as it is about product and i think uh, it's a it's a blend of getting you know the right location at the right price but the way we see it balancing out in our current economics is that we see demand to be a lot higher than some of the other cities where real estate cost is lower uh, we also see that the willingness for the customer to pay a slightly higher price point for access and convenience is definitely something that we have been able to to balance out i think from from day 1 my focus and my my talk to the company has always been uh, we need to build a tremendous consumer brand with a lot of love but a financial powerhouse as well so we are very cognizant of real estate costs in india which are definitely um, on the higher end especially in the cities that you mentioned but at the same time we're able to balance it out with sort of hard negotiation as well as be able to get the right kind of consumer demand through our door such that the economics make sense okay because i want to understand the pricing aspect which comes which is a follow up question which is starbucks they operate at the 250 to 300 price point are you saying that chains such as third wave can demand a premium to that or your sweet spot is actually 150 to 200 range and you would rather play on volume because at the end of the day if you are looking at a premium experience or a, which is if i can draw parallel like a luxury kind of a brand indians are extremely price conscious absolutely i mean i think more than being price conscious i think value for money is very important yeah. it's in our dna right we all grew up in yeah. in, a, in households where our parents taught yeah. us value for money and you know arijit we don't think about it as a 200 or 250 rupee price point when it comes to our product we actually look at the average basket value um so it's mm-hmm. not just the coffee value but it's what you pair with the coffee whether it's food uh it's the size of the check that really matters right uh, in our business we call it average order value and essentially mm-hmm. we need to have a critical average order value uh with the number of bills that we do a day for the economics to work out at a store you know we have taken a varied look at pricing across markets in some markets mm-hmm. we can command something like the international players offer um and in mm-hmm. some markets we choose to be slightly lower and 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 have higher demand in those markets now you've grown dramatically after the capital infusion that happened from westbridge it's a marquee name no doubt let me ask you this point blank are you india's kopi kenangan uh we're india's third wave arjit <laughs> i think it's hard to sort of say we are india's kopi kenangan or we've been compared to a lot of uh, competitors a lot of international players like you said we have taken the route of doing a offline brand and offline means you know high capex at the store level it means a lot of um, early cost before you can distribute to the customer right 
so uh, we definitely think that um, that is the way india will consume coffee out of home and in some cases of course over a period of time we would like to see that in home and at office too but a large part of it happens out of home and we would like to be the brand of choice for those consumers but i would not go go to say that we are india's answer or india's copy copy can anger we are both startups right and um, there's the markets operate very differently indonesia is a very different ice coffee market mm. india has been touted as a chai market always right i think yes. any sort of investor meeting i would pick up in the last sort of 2 to 3 years apart from a few have always said it's a chai market how do you sell coffee in a chai market we have definitely sort of brought a blend of both western and indian flavors in our menu mm-hmm. um yeah. and 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 i'm sure sort of kopi and other brands in indonesia are doing the same right so you would say you're a cafe first products company later um yeah we're a, we're a cafe first uh, it's backed by a very strong product our coffee is uh, and food is a product that people consume of course it's backed by service and you know we have a very interesting technology play that we have been working through and working on over the last couple of years and you'll see some of that emerge in the next couple of quarters but you know we're definitely a cafe qsr first before sort of a, just a pure play coffee player that distributes in you know offices or through online means Yeah now you talked about Indonesia and its love for ice cafes now if we look at Starbucks i mean the biggest of them all their mix seems to be 75% beverage 25% food mm-hmm. of that 75% 50% or half of the sales come from sweeter beverages ice mm-hmm. coffees frappuccinos where you add a lot of hazelnut syrup or that syrup or choco chips etc cetera, etc cetera. literally i mean I often think whether I entered a <laughs> dessert shop or a coffee shop. Yeah. Yours clearly coffee is at the center of your story, right? Yeah. Not sweet beverages. Yeah. But that also puts a lot of people in a bind because you know that's where the growth is. So if you focus on coffee for the adults, you and I seem to be a minority kids or many adults seem to love that sugar rush that you know huge creamy beverage that you get how do you balance both yeah excellent i mean excellent question you've uh, you obviously understand the market very well um you know uh, we definitely like you said want to be coffee first of course an international player like starbucks has its range of beverages and if you walk into a third wave arjit you'll be surprised uh but we do too right uh, and and yeah. of course a lot of customers come to us because you know we we probably have the best espresso the best cappuccino the best latte and we pride ourselves on that but we and and we have taken sort of painful steps to developing that and some compromises and choices we have made to be able to continuously deliver that even at scale but at the same time we're not in the business of alienating customers right and i think uh we're definitely spending a lot of time now trying to understand um what is the teenage population or what is the younger population want uh on a menu and we would like to see them as third wave customers and would you say that of the multiple cities that you are currently in you are heaviest in bangalore in terms of footprint and density wise and then comes ncr bombay and other cities so you're bangalore first yeah 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 we started the business here um in 2017 we grew very organically for the first few years uh, we now have 40 plus stores in bangalore um, i think the true testament of being a a brand is when you can open up at the airport you also said you know investors keep asking you about tea 
India and its love for chai, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I also see a player like a Chaios or a Chai Time or some of the other regional players expanding. Aren't you all fighting for the same wallet? So it's a fragmented market amongst artisanal and or craft coffee makers and roasters. But also there are tea chains or the tea houses that are expanding. Yeah, no. So, so Arjit, I think um, chai and coffee are two different need states. And I think the consumer is definitely who is going to want a chai is not coming into your store for a cup of coffee, right? I think they are sort of two very different products. The kind of food pairings that you see with chai are very different from the food pairings that you see with sort of coffee, right? I wouldn't say that uh, we're competing for the same wallet share. We're definitely mm. competing for the same wallet share when it comes to the coffee, right? Uh, the same, the you know, bunch mm. of the coffee mm. players that you mentioned are competing. But chai and coffee are sort of two different habits. Now that you've taken institutional capital, people would argue you've jumped right onto the treadmill. Historically, the sector, F&B or coffee or tea chains, have made negligible returns for their investors. Mm-hmm. including CCD, including baristas who've had a long runway, right? Yeah. It's early days for players like you. Yeah. But if you look purely at history, it's been checkered at best. How do you convince your investors, bet on us, will give you the returns that you would want? Yeah, I think um, uh, there are a bunch of factors, right? And um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of pinpoint and say there are. There is one reason. There are a myriad number of reasons why some of the existing players have not been able to sort of scale or sustain the scale that they that they hit, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the way we structure ourselves as an organization, the corporate governance that we have, the kind of standards that we are setting for ourselves is unlike sort of any player that has emerged in this space. But right from the way we select real estate uh, to the way we negotiate our rental deals to the amount we invest in our partners, right? And uh, when I say partners, these are our store partners who serve customers in in their training, in their upskilling. We think that that is the real reason why over a period of time we can maintain uh, success and quality, right? This business really boils down to quality. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think building a financially stable, really great brand in this country is the time is now right uh, the next 10 years you see very high disposable incomes um, right and you have seen this in terms mm. of some of the other categories right fitness has become a sort of major category right and whenever a sort of economy matures you see typically sort of fitness coffee some of these categories becoming mainstream categories and therefore we think sort of the next decade uh, really belongs to some of these categories now people would argue that with pretamanga coming into india with Reliance, that's the joker in the pack. They are a sandwich on the go brand, but in India, they will tweak, they will tweak fast and come at all of you hard and they have the pricing power. Then would you say the gloves are off and you're in it for a long battle ahead? Um, you know, Arjit, even before Pratham I would say that the gloves are already off, right? Uh, like you said, there are a bunch of uh, players in this space competing for the wallet share of the consumer. So I think, uh, you know, the gloves are already off. We're, we're in for a sort of hard battle across some of the existing cities that we're in and in some of the new cities that we will open. But we will have to wait and see, you know, how how they how they sort of uh, succeed in, in in this market. It's a it's a very heterogeneous market, Arjit. I, mm, I think from true. Delhi to Bombay to Bangalore, some of our learnings around just what the consumer wants, what do they look for, 
is not a one size sort of fits all model, right? So you'll need you'll need sort of tweaking in order to sort of conquer these cities, and um, you know, getting the getting the right real estate um, in the country is 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 not is not easy, right? So uh, it'll take it'll take them some time to scale as well. But of course, they have the sort of capital as well as the as well as the DNA to be able to do so. Like Shashant, Matt Chitaranjan, co-founder and CEO at Blue Tokai Coffee Roasters is also seeking institutional funding and has been on the road looking to raise fresh round of external capital. For many, what Matt and his wife Namrata Asthana has been doing since 2012 is nothing short of trend setting. Without the advent of Blue Tokai and the gumption it took to create uh, an entire brand and a program and and scale that brand and program with the notion of traceable coffee, um, I don't think, you know, a brand like Subgo could have, you know, even seen the light of day. Matt's done a huge service uh, to Indian coffee. So that's sort of how I ended up in Bombay. And basically that sort of sparked one additional layer to the whole thing, which was I, I envisioned it, the experiential lens of, of traceable agriculture that would be rooted in the subcontinent if we could create a craft experience out of it. You know, coffee and bread became a calling for what would end up being, you know, called Subco. That's Rahul Reddy, founder at Subco Specialty Coffee Roasters, a forensic expert, come consultant turned coffee preneur. Rahul clearly is a fanboy, and like Matt, after working in America, he too became nuts over Arabica and Robusta, Excelsa and Liberica. The four basic beans that matter to anyone who has anything to do with the business of coffee. We have two very exciting guests joining the ET podcast, The Morning Brief. Matt Chitaranjan, co-founder at Blue Tokai Coffee Roaster. Rahul Reddy, founder at Subco Specialty Coffee Roasters. Matt, Rahul, thanks so much for taking time out and joining The Morning Brief. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Arjit, for inviting me. And uh, great to be on with Matt. It's an honor. So, Matt, these craft chains such as yours or artisanal chains, the, the, the moot point or the soul of the brand is in the fact that you believe in fair trade. It is not mass industrial scale. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the differences. For us, when we started, there was no uh, idea of good quality Indian coffee, despite the fact that there were estates in India who were producing coffee that could be served on any uh, the cafe menu anywhere in the world. Within the country, they weren't really being known and recognized. So we really wanted to find those estates, highlight them, tell their story, and connect consumers back to the source of where this coffee was being uh, grown. So when, uh, you know, 10 years ago when we had started, the, this idea of traceable coffee, roasted well, roasted fresh, that wasn't really uh, being practiced and people weren't even aware of that. So mm-hmm. putting in place different methods and ways to reach consumers to explain to them why is it important to highlight the farms? What are they doing at the farm level that's producing this quality of coffee? Uh, how do you roast coffee? How do you roast it in a way that really uh, creates a difference in terms of the flavors that are coming out of it? That was a big, big focus for us uh, as well when, when we started on the education aspect. What is traceable coffee? 
to, to us, traceable coffee is knowing exactly where that coffee comes from and who, who produced it. And in many cases, it goes beyond just the farm and the location. Different areas of the farm produce different species of, of, of Arabica, different species of Robusta. Uh, they have different soil conditions that ultimately lead to different flavors. So having traceability to even a level within the farm is also uh, important to us. Understood. And Rahul, if you wear your development economist hat, one is, of course, the species and where it's growing in a farm, as Matt said. Is the other reason why for for brands like you all this information is important or crucial is because of the labor practices and giving it back to the community in order for those planters uh farmers with teams working extremely you know hard months through the year but then you know a very very hard sort of harvest season with uh, immense labor requirements to not be treated as a commodity process and to actually take even more skill even more labor even more training I believe the feedback loop I'm referring to to encourage um, this sort of behavior at the plantation level is one where the premium can be ostensibly passed along to people because they see a cultural value, uh, an ethical value. So brands you know, like ours um, are tasked with, uh, I think what Matt said is very critical there, at the end, what is the communication structure being utilized to mm. tell people that these farmers will produce delicious, amazing coffee for us to provide to you. Um, if you, in the end of the day, are willing to take that little bit of an extra risk and invest a little bit more in these products. Understood. But Rahul, what you are saying or what Matt's saying, now others are also saying the same. I mean, in the same that there are many such chains which are, which are coming up, who's trying to say the same story, the same narrative. Isn't the market therefore getting overcrowded for you? for example, what would be your key differentiator? What's that X factor for Subco? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a tough question to answer in terms of the market crowding. I, I think from, from, from Subco's point of view, um, there's, two, there's two key elements, I think, um, that, that at least the aspiration is there for us to highlight. The first is that we, we're a very design-driven, experiential coffee brand. Like, how tactile would it be? What would be the, the, the native and indigenous ingredients in, in the visual understanding of what that brand stood for? So we've taken a very design-centric approach would be, would be one, one piece. The second for us is that, you know, we, we, we do have two really key verticals at Subco. We, we of course, are, are, are specialty coffee roasters. It's, it's a segment that is, is, is certainly prominent in, in many other places in the world. I think it's 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 a little less prominent or it has been until date in in India but basically that means you know exceptionally high point scoring coffee and then we're also a craft bakehouse and so really that for us that for us that really is a focus on sort of um, experimental laminated doughs uh, aka croissants as well as mm. sourdough bread and Matt what would you say would be blue tokai's secret sauce what would that be that it's coffee at the center stage or it's the experience. It's it's yeah. For for us, it's all it's 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 very much coffee focused. Uh, our our goal is to make great tasting Indian coffee as accessible as possible. Uh, we try to put it at a price point that's you know significantly cheaper than a Starbucks, so that it can appeal to yeah. a wider audience. We try to have products that uh, kind of bridge the gap between having instant coffee at home uh, versus you know having to have all kinds of equipment. So how do you bring Correct. convenience and, and pair that with the quality of specialty coffee? 
so for us, the focus is really on trying to get as many people as possible to drink better quality Indian coffee. Correct. And when you touched upon pricing, so let me let me break it down. I believe so for Starbucks, it's the 250 to 300 rupees price point. So would you say the others are actually playing on the 150 to 200 price point range? I, I just think even within all of us, there is a, a wide variety. Mm-hmm. I think very, very few people would be at the, the 150 level. I think that's more of a real commodity brands would be. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think sort of this around 200 rupees, maybe 220, 230, going down to 180 is, is where, where most of the other uh, people are. Okay. I, I, the answer that I would have to that, Arijit, is yes, of course. I mean, it's undeniable the sort of uh, lack of elasticity that is, seems to be present in, in many, uh, many sort of quote-unquote consumers in urban India. Our, our sort of methodology, not with the purpose of explicit purpose of retaining customers or whatever, but it's, it's actually just at the heart of the brand, is constant innovation. So for one thing that's interesting is we, we don't actually currently, we don't sell um, any retail products that are, that are blends. What that means is there's constant rotation and mm. similar but diverse flavor experiences that are constantly there, even from the same plantation. So I think these elements are, are really critical to, um, uh, to kind of getting people to kind of reinvest their time, energy, and ultimately money in, into, uh, into brands that, you know, like ourselves, who are not in the most accessible segment. Understood. And Matt, uh, innovations could also mean, as I've seen, you know, players like Sleepy Owl tying up with ice cream brands and you have a, a co-branded ice cream. Similarly, I'm sure Blue Tokai must be also doing such collabs. Yeah, we've done. Uh, I think it's a good way of of having sort of cross pollination of different uh, different customer bases. So we've we've tied up with we've also done tie ups with ice cream companies, with chocolate companies, mm. with even exercise protein companies with mm. beauty companies so i think it's just about finding kind of like-minded brands who sort of mm-hmm. have have similar thinking and it's a good way to to sort of expand your brand reach it's great if you can make them open their purse strings but matt the sector overall fnb coffee tea chains have made negligible money for its investors looking at the history it's been pretty challenging and checkered isn't that a problem as you as you scale up as you look to raise more money yeah i i uh i encounter this a lot i feel like it's just very short-sighted to think that just because it's never been done in the past doesn't mean it can't be done in the future i mm. i totally understand that ccd and barista and and uh, you know even some of the international chains like costa and cbtl yeah. haven't been able to to scale up but that doesn't mean that it can't happen and I right. think the real, the real trend that people are, are missing is that as countries grow, coffee consumption grows significantly. And there, is a, mm. there seems to be a, a tipping point in income level that once that country reaches that point, coffee just explodes. You, we've seen it in uh, other coffee-growing countries. Indonesia reached that income level, and from there, coffee just took off. I feel that India is very close to that level, if not already reached it. And so mm-hmm. we're at the start of a, a really a great phase for for consumers and for companies and for uh, for coffee in general in India. And I think it's very hard for for I mean, 
as an investor, it's all about timing, right? So they don't want to yeah. be the ones who who maybe come in too early, then you won't make money. But at the same time, if you come in too late, it'll also be very difficult to make money. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this I is that sweet spot. Here. Yeah. Okay, but Rahul, uh, you you've as a, you know, let me go back to your consulting days or your you know days as an economist. Uh, Matt also did economics. I read somewhere. Now let's talk about retail. Now, at what stage does each one of you say make money at an EBITDA level? You know, except for specific pockets of apparel retail, most models take a very very long time to make money. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way that I would answer that uh, is we, 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 we do have our, our sort of own methodology on this. We're nowhere near the scale that, that Matt has built his company into uh, at this mm -hmm. stage. But um, we, do, we do, I think, one, one to two things differently. So first, we only retail uh, our products currently. We don't use any third party, you know, essentially keep, keep all of the margins, you know, within the company itself. So we, we only sell through our e-commerce uh, platform, which is uh, Shopify. Um, that we've built a store on. So we've done that. And then in, in a similar vein, one thing that's been really challenging for me to do is not, not just because of the financial implications, although that's part of it for sure. We, we've actually chosen to not vend uh, our retail products as of today uh, on, um, on sort of the most prominent aggregating platforms uh, in India. So Zomato, Swiggy, um, these, mm. these, these, these platforms don't currently have uh, Subco listed on them. Interesting. Matt, uh, you've been around for long, and let me so therefore ask you this, that unit economics in between had turned favorable due to lower rentals and lower talent costs. COVID played a role in that. However, it appears that in the last two quarters, costs are inching up once again. Isn't that a big headache? Yeah, actually, there was only a very brief period during COVID where rentals came down but actually within a year of the lockdown rentals were were back to pre-covid levels and and now are actually uh what we see are are higher than they were pre-covid um mm -hmm. i think real estate is the sort of the one of the keys to having a positive unit economics at the cafe and and i mm -hmm. i think where a lot of the brands go wrong is that they either expand too fast and then have to as a result of that take bad bets on locations mm -hmm or have store formats that don't make sense for the market that they're operating in. So either mm -hmm. uh, you open a large location with a very high capex and fit out cost and the footfalls don't justify that. So I think it's really important to make sure that your rental to sales ratio is, is very well thought out and monitored carefully. And, and also look at the, the, the cost that you're putting into the store. And does that make sense for, uh, from a payback perspective? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you, uh, like Subco, also experimenting with various formats like shop-in-shop shop, or is it just uh, standalone cafes for you? So we do currently have shop-in-shop shop formats and kiosks and cloud kitchens, but these were uh, all experiments that have been uh, happened over over years. Hmm. Now for us, we realize the sweet spot is really kind of these 800 to 1200 square foot cafes because the economics of that are, are very favorable. They have the potential mm -hmm. to do 20 to 35 lakhs of business a month where you can get the rent to revenue ratio down to the, to the low teens. Where, and, and at the same time, when you operate these smaller formats, 
the, the operational intensity is nearly the same as it is in opening up a, a large location. So for, mm-hmm. you know, three kiosks would do the, the same business as one cafe. It's much easier from an operations perspective to just manage that one cafe than managing three, three kiosks to get the same revenue and, and, and ultimately EBITDA from that. So you're not, you're not obsessed about location, location, location. It has to be high street. It has to be bang in the middle of a mall. It has to be, you know, in, in, in the best location of a CBD. No, no, actually, we, we shy away from those locations uh, because, uh-huh. uh, and there, I, I mean, so in a cafe format, it's not like, I mean, I, I, I don't see it as possible that a cafe is going to do a crore of business a month. Uh, yeah. and, and, and if you start taking the best location within a particular market, that rental is going to be, you know, 10, 10 lakhs. I, I don't see the the economics ever working out in 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 that situation. And for us as a, a brand, and, and I think Subco definitely has that. We've demonstrated an ability to pull people from off to, to slightly off prime locations within a micro market. Interesting. We're really running out of time. So the last question, Matt, that I have for you is: Rahul talked about you know the things that he's doing to make you know unit economics work. Locations, one aspect, and you also touched upon it, but he said about, you know, e-commerce, choosing the platforms, not being on Zomato and Swiggy because they take away a lot of margins. For Blue Tokai, coffee is at the heart and soul of it. How much of your sales are from the products itself, from by selling powder and beans? And if I'm not wrong, you are on on all the e-commerce platforms, on the delivery platforms. Um, so, you know, both e-commerce and in-shop purchase, how much of the sales is from the real product itself? Yeah. So at the, at an overall cafe level, 20% of the sales come from the packaged coffee products. Mm -hmm. Uh, for us, actually, we see delivery as a important, uh, important channel. I, I feel that that convenience aspect is is very important. I, I mean, even if I look at my own behavior, I order regularly from the outlets where, where mm-hmm. I have access to all of the coffee and all of the equipment at home. And so that's, a, a, I think, a behavior change that we've seen that was uh, kind of started with COVID, but um, is, is really here to stay. Uh, we've seen delivery sales increase almost every month because just, just based on that convenience aspect. My take. World over, the craft coffee revolution is called the third wave. Perhaps a take on Starbucks's famous third place credentials, a comfort zone between home and office. With curated customer experiences, bespoke F&B, the aim is to create a new place for each of the brand. Perhaps even have focused micro-market strategies. And why not? When Beijing alone has thousand Starbucks, That's just one city. In all of India, Starbucks and its joint venture partner Tata's have managed to open only 268 outlets across 25 cities after more than a decade of operations. But the business has finally been able to deliver break-even at an operating profit level before depreciation and amortization, meaning EBITDA. Even as there is enough runway for growth and food and beverages occupy the largest share of our wallets that all the other big chains, big and small, are pouring over 
the key issue will be finding the right blend of profitable growth. You grow fast, you burn cash. You become bottom line obsessed, then store rollouts ain't going to happen in a hurry. As Shushant and Matt said, we have reached the important tipping point for coffee to see scorching growth over the next 10 to 15 years. But then again, retail is never easy and it's all about hard execution. Remember, Starbucks openly says it's a well-oiled logistics and supply chain business first and a coffee chain later. So would Blue Tokai cafes be as efficient in Kanpur as they are at Kemp's Corner in Mumbai? Or will Sabko Sado's sell in Srinagar enough to make it really matter? That's where the commerce behind these craft coffee chains will make the difference. Thank you, Shashant, Matt and Rahul. Deeply appreciate. You have been listening to Coffeenomics, Business Behind the Beans with me, Arijit Barman, your host on The Morning Brief. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursdays and Friday. If you like this episode, please make sure to share it on your social media handles. Thank you for listening and have a great week ahead. This episode was produced by Sumit Pandey from The Economic Times and Swati Joshi from Awaz. Sound editors Rajas Nayak and Indranil Bhattacharji from The Economic Times. Executive producers Anupriya Bahadur and yours truly from The Economic Times. Do tune in to ET Play, our latest platform for all audio content, including the morning brief. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description.